So you like bold red wine most of the time With notes of fig and raisin You like a cold brew and pitching horseshoes As the sun is fading You like football games and dishing out nicknames With Godfathers 1 and 2 With Not So Fast, we got them podcast We like that too we like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. Hey, Bon Vivants, welcome back to the We Like That Too podcast. I'm Brad Jones, and of course, joining me is the head Bon Vivant himself, Mr. Keith Inlow. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Coming to, to you back. live almost from the Bon Vivant International We're Media back Center. In the Bimka. The Bimka, my yeah. basement. That's right. So we've got a great show today. We do. I'm excited about this. I one. am too. We're kind of checking off the list of people we've been wanting to get in here. So slowly but surely. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Well, the thing I'm excited about today is uh, of all the uh, good life things that we talk about, we have not had authors on as often as I would like. So today we got an author and I'm excited about that. Getting to talk about a couple of books and an exciting one that's new and really fits in with our genre of the arts, entertainment, music, movies, that kind of thing. Speaking uh, of checking boxes, uh, our guest today checks a bunch of them. No, that's why it's exciting and it's a lot of fun because yeah. he's he's local, he is an author, he is a historian, yeah. and uh, he, he's we are, a bon vivant. And he is no, a, no he doubt is a about true it. bon vivant, yeah. and we are glad to welcome Mr. Jeremy Amick yes. to the show. Welcome, welcome Jeremy. Glad to have you. Have a yeah. good, glad to have you. Good to be here. Here's what I think we ought to do first. Well, I'm going to keep us on task. It's my job, so we're going to drink first. I think we should. And uh, Jeremy's a beer guy. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, if you go back to episode 31 with our good friends, the Cowleys, yep. those guys have really done great. They have. Last Flight. Yeah, Last Flight Brewery. I love it down there. We went down and sat down there for a little while yesterday. It's and then I then I, I visited with the crew, you know, on which, which beers that we right. might like to right. uh, try. Yeah. And so I've got three really kind of unique right. ones, different different ways that they made them and cool. Uh it's good. So Well and Bon Vivants, when you see the picture on the website of the beverages today, you're gonna kinda go what the heck is that? They have these large, they're these large cans. They remind me of those foster cans, you it know, is. the big, it's, it's about the big as, foster's can. Yep. And they fill them on site and seal them for you on site based on what you want to order and yep. put in them, right? Yep. So, so if, you don't really want, cool. if you don't want a whole growler, I mean, yeah. the whole jug, yeah. then you can get one of these big ass cans yeah. Yeah. Uh, of beer. Yeah. So that's cool. I, I think it's a good proportion. All myself. right. So what did the boys down at uh, Last Flight suggest for us? Well, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate about them is when they do German beers, I think they really, really do a good job. Yeah. I, I think they're my, some of my favorites. I like their Hefeweizens and I like their box. I like some of the others. This one is called the Hesenbark. Hesenbach. Hesenbach. Sorry. No R in there. Okay. Hesenbach. That's a good German word. It is. And uh, this one, as is the case is a little higher. This is a 7.6. Uh, so as uh, one of the articles read, this is smooth and dangerous. The color of this is, I would call it very close to orange. Well, that is, and it is and the, not transparent. It is kind of opaque. And the reason for that is oh, yeah. this is, this is a wheat German beer. Okay. And so the wheat Germans, and we're going to try an American uh, wheat here in a minute, 
but the the German uh, wheat beers have a little. They're a little cloudy. Yeah. Um, okay. Do you like the the German beers? Very uh, much so. I thought you might. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy, jump in here. Well, I, I'm admittedly not a beer uh, aficionado, so Swizenbach. So but, you know, if I'm doing like I do wine, I'm going to smell it first. I don't know if that's the official way to taste beer or not, but. And I'm not telling you what what to, what to taste, but well, these are usually pretty pretty hoppy. And I know I hear that term. I'm not sure I know what it means. I do know that on the nose of this, I get sort of a fall uh, ripe fall fruit smell, uh, along with the alcohol that goes with it. These you know? have a little fruitier, a little bit fruitier uh, taste to them. So you know, it's almost like uh, when your your jack o' lantern pumpkin has set out until November fifteenth. <laughs> It's not rotted, but it's just <laughs> aged. <laughs> you know? You could probably still use it to bake a pie if you had to. I'm sure. I don't want to taste it. I'm not eating I'm that sure pie. I'm sure the last flight boys love <laughs> rotten to be well, in wait, no, wait, you know me. Funky does not bother me. So that's not a that's not a negative in my book. I'm just describing what my nose picks up. So let me taste it. Well, the Schneider Brewery uh, is sort of credited for this particular style, and that's like 1907. So, I mean, it's been around. It's been around for a while. Well, the, so. the taste to me is very clean. Yeah, it's, it's got the, a really yeah. clean. It goes over smooth, and no, no bitter. Is that what they mean by hoppy? When it's that bitter bite at the back of your tongue? Yeah, or it can be really, really, really malted. The one of the descriptors is that this has to be an extremely balanced beer or it will do exactly what you're talking about it will have that bite to it that isn't very popular that's very pleasant that there i don't get any bitterness at the back of that or at all do you say it was hefe or hesse it's hessen so some hesse hesse germany Hesenbach. okay yeah Hesenbach. frankfurt area that would be where okay Wherever the Schneider Brewery is, but well, it's, been so, there for, yeah. it's been there for a long, long time. So, yeah. So the Schneider Brewery is in Germany. Right. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. I like so, it. Anyway. It's good. Yeah. Very tasty. So I thought we'd talk, right. talk for a minute. Yeah. Let, let, and let's let, get a refill. Let, let these get empty, and uh, the executive producers will move to the next one, and okay. we'll uh, we'll try that in a minute. So, uh, Jeremy, your your background with beer. When did you start enjoying it legally and uh, <laughs> legally? Well, legal uh, in Russellville is a different term for some. Well, we all grew up in Central Missouri, so we understand that. But I'm trying to keep you out of trouble here. You know, when how did you develop your love? of or uh, appreciation of brewed substances probably the the back roads uh, listening to leonard skinnerd yeah, yeah. <laughs> skinnerd there you go <laughs> and being that we were in a uh, german lutheran country uh, it was pretty well stagged it was a popular choice yeah yeah the uh the heritage of this area is heavily german mm-hmm. and germanic and so i think beer is a natural uh product byproduct of that yeah. Um, all right. I wanted to talk to you a little bit because your writing is really diverse. You've written about a lot of different things. Um, your most current is the one I'm, I'm really interested in, but tell us a little bit about yourself when you, when you, when you first started and the first books that you might have written and are you a history major or is it just a history nut? Uh, but- 
to have two master's degrees, one in business administration, one in criminal justice administration, so nothing to do with writing or history. It's just been something that's always fascinated me. I know when I was in the uh, military on active duty, I was uh, stationed once at Jefferson Barracks, a very historic post, yeah. dates <laughs> back to 1826, so that was very interesting. I did a lot of – In St. Louis area. Right. Yes, right. Jefferson, yeah, just south uh, South County, and so when I uh, – Got out and came back uh, to this area. Uh, you know, started reading the n- local newspaper and seeing articles about veterans and military, and they just, uh, to be honestly, weren't very well written. Uh, they weren't very intuitive and expressive of the veterans' experience. So I thought, well, a veteran should be writing about veterans. So I started writing those, and then kind of transitioned into books. And there you go. There you go. Well, first of all, on behalf, I'm, yeah. I know on behalf of Keith, thank you for your, yes. service. Thank you for your and, service, and not just when you served, but what you've done in yeah. bringing the voice of veterans to, to everyone. You've done an amazing job with that. And well, thank you've you been so involved much. in several veterans' efforts and organizations mm-hmm. and support a lot of that stuff. So thank you for, yeah, again, not only when you served, but what you've done since then. So we appreciate that. I know they do, too. Um, all right. Number two? Yeah, we can do number two. Okay. Now, this is an American-style wheat beer. So... Uh, the thing about, about wheat beers is they, and you, and you'll notice it's a little cloudy, just like it's but, ger- German brother. But there. it's more of a golden color mm-hmm. like you would see on a, a TV beer ad. Perhaps commercial, but this is a peach. Yeah. This is peach. peach. It's okay. a peach, hon. And I'm getting peach off of the nose. Yeah. Well, the, the, the one of the characteristics of having a weeded uh, American style beer is that you can put other things with it, and so you'll find wheat beers that are um, different fruits, different. There's different things you know that you can put you can put with it. It's um, it uses an either an ale or a lager type yeast. So it's going to be a little bit cloudy. It's only 5% alcohol, so it's not real high. But yeah. So this is one of the things that we've discussed before, but I was thinking today before the program, knowing that we were going to taste beer. You know, when you talk about wine or a distilled spirit, especially bourbon, which are both bourbon lovers, the age comes into it. One of the luxuries that brewers have for a lot of, you know they can they can do seasonal stuff mm-hmm. it changes because when it comes out of the vat it's ready to drink most of the time they're not talking about aging it and storing it or anything like that so they have they don't have to wait right you know they can they can do new things and i know that the boys at last flight do that a lot they'll have seasonal things and this reminds me of a it's, it's kind of summery, actually. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And I think they – don't they – Jeremy, they leave their peach up pretty much, I think, most of the year. There's one yeah, – there's curious. a few of them they don't rotate out yeah. as often well, as they do. Well, the popular ones because people demand them. Yeah, because we were talking about my Hefeweizen. And, you know, they that's kind of a traditional Oktoberfest kind of kind of in their box and some of the other things that, they, that they'll do down there. Now, the nose um, on this, I get peach off of the nose, but I do not get it strong on the palate. I mean, it's there sort of as a background note. Uh, what do you think? I think you're right. So do what they do uh, follow the, the uh, you know, the German beer purity law, Reinheitsgebot, that was established in 1600? Do they follow that at last flight where they don't put preservatives in any of the beers? I don't know. And, and you know, from a marketing standpoint, too, let's say you get one. It doesn't hit. You know, yeah. you're, not, you're not stuck with 50 barrels exactly. of it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, we're, not, gonna do, we're not doing this one they're again. They're moving through inventory pretty quickly down there. They they're are. turning stuff over. Yeah. This is interesting. Um, I, I think I still don't get any of that bitter bite at the back uh, of your tongue. 
and that's Got the wheat. Beers, and that's the wheat part. Yeah. The wheat's the wheat's supposed to kind of mellow out your your malts. Yeah, but I think this is this is more tart than the first one was to me. It is. A little so, bit, a little bit of sourness. You got a little more citrus. Again, I, I don't mean that as a negative note because some tartness, acid, maybe. I don't know. I, keep, I find myself trying to go back to wine terms. <laughs> well, you know, we do that. We do that when we talk about whiskeys too. So no, we're not going to talk about the acid and rock and roll terms, right? <laughs> well, I don't know. Who knows uh, where we might get? Yeah, we got an interesting three top picks coming up. So yeah, we, we might yeah, talk about acid there. Yeah, a yeah, bit. yeah, yeah. We do. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. All right, we got number three in the glass. We do. Now you've heard. You've heard about pilsners, right? I mean, yes. it's uh, yes. so. When I, when I was talking to the guys down there, I said, you know, let's don't make a let. Let's see if we can get some of our lighter beers, and we'll try those, and then we'll see what kind of the differences are. I mean, I you can go with an IPA, you can go. I mean, you could go both ends of the spectrum, big time. So we we tried to keep them uh, a little bit closer. So this is a pilsner. This is called Will's Pills. <laughs> down at uh, so Will Will made this one. It's yeah. a four point six. Pilsners have been around since eighteen forty two, and they actually came from Czechoslovakia because the name of the town is actually Pilsen. Okay, so Pilsners came from Pilsen, and it's usually a light yellow yeah. to uh, this is TV beer, kind of a dark. Yeah, yeah, it <laughs> is kind is, of it's, it's kind it of a TV is, beer. I think Budweiser's a Pilsner. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, you can see through it. You can see the bubbles ascending in the middle of it. When Mr. Slitz, golden yeah, color. When Mr. Yeah. Slitz and Mr. Paps came and started the the beer wars in Milwaukee, this is probably when you say close to the kind of beers that they would have produced. Yeah, because PBR is a pilsner. Right? Yes. But, yeah. Yeah. It, it all had to do with temperature, <laughs> and and you know that was back in the days where you had every little community had their own little. Brew Brewery, yeah, because it just oh, yeah. you know this is liquid bread. You, it does not it does not age well, and it does not go very far. And it, you know it it took learning how to refrigerate before you really could move them any any amount of distance without them going bad. And yeah. so I thought this is kind of a historical sort of a way that uh, you know they made beer. Well, this I don't get a lot off of the nose on this at all, but this has the most traditional. Beer taste right. to me, right? Um, but this is very smooth. This again, I don't get a lot of bite. Yeah, at the back of my throat or the back of my tongue. Well, I think all three of them are, you know, they're 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 of a lighter style. But they're drinkable. They're, yeah, they're drinkable and they're they're they are different. I mean, they're different kinds yeah. of of uh, very good fermentation and everything. So I think this one uh, pairs well with Hank Williams Jr. music. You think this is kind of Hank? Because kind of Hank drinking drinking. This is float trip beer here, <laughs> ice down in a cooler. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, the guys at Last Flight and Matt Green down at Barvino, beautiful downtown Jefferson City, because he does carry their products. And that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a few other bars around that have a tapper, yeah. and uh, they uh, they bring out a Last Flight. And so, uh, give them a, give them a chance. I think um, Barvino's got one. And I think Bar Whiskey's got one. And there's other bars around town. Oh that, yeah, they they're beginning to their distributorship is expanding all the time. Yep, and they're making a name for themselves. So congratulations, at last flight. Thanks for providing our taste for the day. Yes, let's get into this thing because I'm anxious. We've kind of piddled around here with it in between drinks, but I'm anxious to, to hear about some of these books and uh, and get Jeremy's take on this. I know you've done some military stuff. Mm-hmm. Talk about some of the military stuff, and then we'll get into your latest one. Well, dinner dinner music in a combat zone. 
Zone was a fun one to write. That was actually about my uh, history, my uh, German teacher and history teacher from Russellville, very quiet man. And it was probably the smartest man, I, a person I've ever known in my life. But uh, I got to know him in later years and uh, uh, learned that he was uh, drafted. He was in Loman, Loman mm-hmm. boy drafted in uh, uh, Vietnam and uh, never had any medical experience. And they made him a combat medic and sent him to Vietnam. And uh, he really didn't talk a lot about his service. But when he passed away a few years ago, his brother brought a box of this hundreds of letters that he had wrote, written home in Vietnam and uh, pictures. And I was able to piece together his biography and actually that name, Dinner Music in a Combat Zone, comes from when he was serving in uh, – I can't remember what little city in Vietnam, but he came out of the mess hall and there was a uh, Marine Corps band that was playing show tunes for them. And he wrote home to his mom. He said, leave it to the Army to provide you dinner music in a combat zone. <laughs> That's a great time. Great yeah. name yeah. for a book. Great name so for a book. So any interesting like stories that stand out and in, in the stuff you were able to read through and glean through after he, he had passed? What, what Anything that struck you specifically that – yeah, there was just, uh, he talked a lot about, well, a lot of the stories I could find, I found that he was guarding, uh, his, his, his mother. He did not know, want her to know what he was going through because yeah. I was able to trace back some of the things that were going on on the, you know, finding these old reports and whatnot, military reports that, uh, he wasn't telling her the full story. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he had some injuries there when he was serving as well. And it was kind of uh, common too, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. They, yeah. they didn't really want mom and dad. Yeah. You didn't want, that, that goes you know. through World War One too, or yeah. anybody that wrote a letter. They yeah, didn't the, want them to know. They, hey, I'm great. Everything's fine. Food's great. We're having a well, great time. Well, look at, uh, Yogi Berra, the great Yogi Berra. He yeah. was shot, nicked in the hand in World War Two, and, uh, he didn't report it because he know that he, he knew he would get a purple heart and then his mom would worry for his safety. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Okay, so well, you want to introduce I, the the latest? Yeah, I do because um, you're <laughs> you're going from from yeah, from that a shift a little bit. Of it's going to it's going to shift to rock and roll, man. <laughs> and I have read uh, several of your articles that mm-hmm. you've done, and I and I've loved them. And I'm going to talk. I want to talk about a few of them, okay? Because uh, you've had the chance to meet some some interesting folks. Let's just talk about the latest one. Um, I remember the band Missouri. I remember everybody will know this song. Uh, if you if you YouTube it, you'll you'll know immediately. Oh, yeah. You'll it's know a, the song. It is a classic rock it and is. roll song. How in the world did you get introduced to the folks in the band, and how did you get into this genre specifically? I guess where did you start with with moving on? Because I, I'm sure you just did an article and then said, you know what, there's more here, and I want to I want to find out exactly what happened with this with this band. Well, it dates back. Several years ago when I was living back in Centertown, uh, there was a friend of mine, uh, Kevin Phillips. He's since passed away, and actually the book's dedicated to him. He was just a, an old gritty rock and roller, and, I mean, he loved everything. Uh, Missouri, Shooting Star, April Wine, uh, you know, Hollies, yeah. <laughs> Humble Pie. And he introduced me to a lot of these these types of bands that I didn't know growing up. And um, when he played me the, the Missouri album, the, the, the first one, the mm-hmm. iconic one everybody recognizes with the black and white cover and the Southwestern Desert Vista with the arch in it, I was just blown away, and uh, especially by the uh, – 
not only the lyrics, but the guitar lead in it. And, you know, of course, all this time after that, I I maintained my uh, fandom of Missouri and uh, was writing all these military articles. And I just decided, you know, a biography is kind of a biography when you're doing an article. So why can't I do one about, you know, something fun that I really enjoy, you know, like the band people. And so I uh, sent a message. Uh, and this is several years ago. I sent a message to the Facebook page for Missouri, and I was told, well, Ron West, the lead singer and the right. founder, wasn't doing well. So uh, they weren't, you know, they couldn't, I couldn't have an article at that time or interview. And uh, time went on, and then Ron West passed away, 2020. Um, so I think a couple years ago, then I reached out again. And they said, sure, sure, we'll talk to you. I ended up uh, visiting with the uh, the first lead guitarist, Lane Turner who still tours with the band, interviewed him. Then he referred me to Bill Larson, the first the drummer. drummer. Yep. Still still tours with yep. the band, interviewed him. And then Randall Platt, the keyboardist, still tours with the band, interviewed him. And then they uh, connected me with Ron's widow, Dana Hodgden, and interviewed her. And after that, I'm like, okay, yep, this needs to be a book. It's, it's on. A, it's expand yeah. this it's and, on. Cool. What I was going to ask you, too, because of the fact that Ron passed away before you got a chance, have you always kind of felt – there's a kind of a hole that you really wish because he was one. He was the founder, right? Correct. I mean, he's yes. the one that did he hire uh, Bill Larson? I think he at did. the beginning, yeah. But basically, though, when that that first album was recorded at Cavern Studios in uh, Kansas City, which was uh, studios that was in those old caverns under the city limestone caverns. Yeah, this, yeah. The, the caverns are still there. Yeah, the storage, yeah. Yeah. Still the storage but the yeah. studio was still there, and so Ron had basically. He had written all the parts, and then he just kind of had these guys come in and clean it up, and then he needed a studio band. He, he kind of – or I mean a touring band. So he kind of did it like Tom Scholes did with Boston. Yeah. Where Tom yeah. basically had the album written, and then they had to put a band together to go out on the road. But uh, yeah, um, very – just a genius. But it was – what's fascinating is you kind of have to backdate it a little bit. You have to go back to uh, 1964 uh, when he became a Beatles fan. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, and, and then it – then he founded the a band called Chessmen, and it was kind of a you know British invasion band. And he recruited his younger brother Gary mm-hmm. to play drums, and his other younger brother Stephen to play bass guitar. And they recruited the lead guitarist Dave Huffines, and they uh, played for several years. Dave Huffines left. They brought in Jim McAllister, became Chessmen Square. With Chessmen Square, they played until '74. Then they broke up. Ron kind of took about a year off. He was writing a lot, and he played in his sister's band Thrush. And that's when he ended up connecting with Chris Fritz, who we could do a whole show on. I have him down. Let's let's wait on that one. So he connected with Chris Fritz, who had established this uh, label called Pacific, which became Panama. Um, this label, his first band on there was called Grand Max, which was a hard rock band. But then he signed Ron West to – or Ron Hodgden to do Missouri. And Ron ended up changing his name from Hodgden – to West be, uh, under, you know, Fritz's suggestion because Hodgden was always confused. Hard to say and hard to spell. Interviews. <laughs> interviews. Yeah. 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 And West, you know, kind of West, Missouri's West. Sure. And uh, yeah. that's kind of how the St. Louis Arch came into all these uh, pictures of Missouri. And of course, everybody thought Missouri was from St. Louis, but they were from Kansas City. But Well, I, I was in college when the, the song hit, you know, and I always kind of thought of Missouri as, you know, you, I, I don't really like the term one-hit wonder. I, I always thought that's a little degrading and mm-hmm. demeaning because back then, especially album, music was albums. AOR. It, it wasn't yeah. just a single. And so, you know, you used to drop the needle on an album and let it run, you know, none of this skipping around and, and that kind of thing. So the body of a band's work 
was more than just one song. And that's why I always appreciated bands. But I always kind of thought Missouri was, uh, you know, one of those bands that was for, like Camelot. For one brief shining moment, they had a really, they were really doing it, you know, and, and mm-hmm. making it commercially. Yeah. Well, we talk about it too. Album art is so, is, yeah. is really a, is, was everything when we were growing up. I mean, you looked at, you looked at that album art and, and that Missouri album is iconic. Yeah. I mean, it it really, really is. Well, with both the, of them. With yeah. both of them. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Well, and liner, liner notes, and you had the lyrics there. You learned the lyrics properly because you read the lyrics along with the song and, and that kind of thing. So well, You remember the, the second album where it has the welcome to Missouri, T-O-O mm-hmm. sign? Yeah, yeah. Well, that was uh, whenever they would, had been signed after the first album. They they were signed by Polydor, and they were heading down to record the, the second album. When they were leaving Kansas City, uh, they passed by the Welcome to Missouri sign, and Randall Plant, the keyboardist, mentioned, hey, that would be great for an album cover. And yeah. that's how that used idea the was. Yeah. yeah, cool. Yeah, that's great. Well, what what are some of the things that you gleaned from your research and stuff that you found really interesting about the band, the formation, the life of it, the lifespan? Um, tease the listeners a little bit about you know what they might want to why they might want to get into this book because this is just coming out. Yeah, this, this is, is brand, yeah. New. brand new. I, and, and Bon Vivants, I want to make sure we know uh, we're going to get links and everything to get from Jeremy to get a hold of these books. Uh, I'm assuming they're easily obtainable online and that oh, kind of absolutely, thing. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, there's just so many connections within the music industry, which fascinated me. It was just like you start pulling a thread and then you start, un, you know, unraveling all these interesting facets. You know, it, we, Chris Fritz, we can talk a lot about, but then, uh, Missouri was booked a few times by Dan Smith, who was a booking agent who had a, a band that had, he was himself in a band that had some success called River Rock. Okay. Uh, from the Kansas City area. And then, uh, we talked when Ron left, he, when Chessman Square broke up. And he went to, you know, playing for his sister. Well, then his younger brother, Gary Hodgson, who took on the name Gary West, too. Um, I speak to him about once a week on this book I'm working on now. Well, he ended up going to New York and met up with Michael Brown, who uh, walk, he was the guy that wrote Walk Away Renee. And uh, they founded this band called The Beckys that had, you know, pretty decent, you know, uh, success. But then after the Beckys, he was recruited for a shooting star. Okay. So yeah. I mean, here you have this family of yeah. just musical talent. Their other younger brother, Steve Hodgden, that was in Chessman Square. He was in the Phil Neal band and did some work. And the, the sister had a successful band with Thrush. And then she went and worked for Randy Bachman in his studio. So yeah. <laughs> it is interesting. We've talked with Ray Cardwell has been on mm-hmm. the, the show before and, and some other musicians and there is sort of there's there's all this intertwined connections you know one or two degrees of separation you know somebody and and i think in ray's in ray's case it was a that's what got him his current gig he knew somebody who was dave mason's bass player and couldn't do the tour and said i know this guy and that's how he got the job and it's you know it's it's not who you know, it's what you know. It's not mm-hmm. what you know, it's who you know a lot Absolutely. of times. And so it's kind of interesting. Uh, and can you play? And well, yeah, you, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you got, you got to, you got to back it up. But, yeah. you know, yeah. but there's a lot of good, there's a lot of talent out there. And a lot of times making that connection is what makes the difference in whether you're gigging or not. 
Yeah, I don't know, like uh, Randall Platt, the keyboardist, he was in a band. Before he got recruited to Missouri, he was in a band called Ice. Then their bass player went to Peter Frampton. It was on the Peter Frampton Comes Alive album or whatever the name Frampton was. Comes, yeah, yeah, Frampton, Frampton, Frampton Comes, comes Alive. alive yeah. and, uh, Probably the best live album nice, of all time. Nice, nice little album. It's they, certainly that up there in the top three in that my, one did in my okay. category. Yeah. 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 So, So what were some of the highlights of Missouri's span you know what did they did they make it to you know the midnight special did they do uh well, they don kirshner's rock concert they, you know, opened, did, they opened for some, some of the best yeah and of course they themselves were the headline in some sure. uh, some very nice venues but uh you know kind of what happened with with polydor is uh, well first of all the first album chris fritz was a booking agent by heart he just wasn't a he wasn't a manager i mean he he had, he had a great career, but so he really couldn't take him to that next level. And I think that's why on the second album, he got him on with uh, Polydor. But then, you know, when they recorded that album in 79, you know, come out around 79, 80, well, Polydor was putting all their money in disco. Yeah. And Missouri yeah. just kind of got, they said, oh, your Southern rock sound is, not, yeah. you know, it's yeah. done with. and. Yeah, they were victims of the the musical times too. Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah. Whereas Shooting Star, that's a whole other story with Virgin Records basically abandoning them. But we won't get into that today. Yeah. <laughs> it seems Shooting Star had a little more of a pop lilt to it too. They maybe adapted a little bit more of a pop sound that might have helped them cross over some. Well, they were the uh, first uh, American band signed to Virgin Records. Yeah. Richard Branson. So. Cool. Well, tell me about uh, Rusty Cruz. Rusty, yeah. his, it, tell me about his his part of this because as you as you talk about the intertwining of mm-hmm. of who was in it and who was out and who was playing and stuff, tell me a little bit, little bit about Rusty. I love Rusty. He's like a brother to me. He has this Dean Foltz, and we got to talk about him too. Dean was yeah. fascinating. Rusty's a St. Louis boy. He's native St. Louis area, and he uh, ended up going to college down in uh, Springfield, and that's where he met his wife and their Stella. They're still married, and uh, down there he became really interested in bands and performing. So when his wife finished college, they ended up going to Kansas City, and he's just performed in, in, in several uh, great bands. Um, one of which is Switch, and that's with uh, Dean. Uh, uh, Dean Foltz is in that, and he's also in Missouri. I think that Dean was called first whenever they decided uh when Ron, Ron West was kind of really ill and before he passed uh, and Bill Larson went over to to visit him and said hey we'd like to kind of keep this going get the band back together and Ron gave him his blessing so they had to you know recruit some more you know some more talent for it and I think Dean was the first one that they brought on he was a bass player Dean Foltz and uh because uh Allen the uh, previous uh bass player he had he passed away several years ago you know and vibed too much in the rock and roll lifestyle but uh so dean they were looking for another lead guitarist so dean said hey i got this buddy that i play with in switch rusty and that's how rusty got brought into the band so they've been in there five years wow and they're still touring yeah. i mean they've uh what do they got coming up do you know uh, for, well, for 2024 go back just a little bit i was talking okay. about dean Foltz. yep and dean uh he played in the band frodo Band was called Frodo. Okay. I remember that I name too. Yeah, build these elaborate castles, yeah. Yeah. and it was very theatrical. <laughs> very theatrical. Stonehenge. Stonehenge. <laughs> so in that, Stonehenge. in that band with Dean Foltz was Terry Dunn. Well, when this band breaks up, Terry goes on to uh, form Banshee, which oh, yeah. had a lot 
I mean, they've yeah. done very well in Banshee still recording. And yeah. I think uh, Terry Dunn's supposed to be at our book signing for Missouri and Kansas City coming up. But, uh, yeah, Missouri still, still tours. Uh, I think all they have planned this year so far, and of course it'll get, you know, booked up, I'm sure, is, uh, April 20th at the Ameristar in Kansas City. Yeah. Now we went last year and saw them at, uh, at Washington, Washington, Missouri, and then, uh, up in Kearney. And it was kind of funny because, Talk about connections up in Kearney. Uh, they're up there jamming on the stage. They're opening for a shooting star. And while they're up there jamming, this guy's up there yelling at them. And, you know, you just kind of, I don't know, just try to make a little bit of a scene to kind of tease them a little bit. And, and after the end of the song, they go, oh, don't worry. That's Darren Walker. He's the lead singer of Head East. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they all know each other. They do. They yeah. do. They do. They do. Well, one of the things I was going to ask you about, you've written you've written a bunch of articles and you've had a chance to talk to some pretty interesting people. In Jeff City, we've got Nitty Gritty Dirt Band coming uh, mm-hmm. to perform. Yeah. Yeah. And John McEwen, I found yeah. that to be a very, very interesting article. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great story. I mean, his whole banjo story – you can tell that one because teaching Steve Martin, teaching yeah. Steve Martin to play banjo. Did John McEwen teaches Steve Martin. <laughs> I didn't know that they worked at Disneyland. Yeah. Oh, that's a great yeah. story. <laughs> I didn't because because Steve Martin's a good banjo player. Yeah. Well, yeah, I and mean, I think later didn't McEwen work on his album? Uh, yeah, they won a Grammy. On they won a Grammy. Yeah. yeah. So. Wow. <laughs> cool. I did not know that. Yeah. So anyway, I thought that was that was a pretty good story. But yeah, they're going to be at the uh, MU Amphitheater. Yeah. And uh, hang on, Bon Vivants, because I think we'll have the uh, director of the amphitheater, and we're going to talk a little more music with her. Yeah, probably, and, we, uh, we're, in the we're next few to, weeks. Trying to uh, leverage that relationship to get more interviews like this, and with some artists, and actually going to have one coming up uh, soon with uh, Molly Healy from uh, Ozark Mountain Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Yes. She's the violin player, the fiddle, the fiddle player. Make no mistake about it. Molly is a violinist, but yeah. she plays the fiddle. I get it. And uh, she's a great musician. And um, not Speaking only of fiddle, them, I've got an upcoming article on Lyman Enlow. Oh, yeah? Who was – That's another one of your freaking – Well, he was well, – where? Which you know. one is that? Which branch of the tree is that? My, my family tree doesn't branch very much. So. <laughs> well, he won an award from the National Endowment from the Arts and oh, yeah? was presented it at the White House by Hillary Clinton. So. <laughs> Wow. He's been deceased several years, but yeah. he was a uh, award-winning uh, fiddle player. Yeah. You know what do you know the difference between a violin and a fiddle, don't you? A violin has strings and a fiddle has strings. Strings. <laughs> <laughs> that's well, a moral yeah. moral joke. Yeah, that's an old that's I think I think that's an old um who was the uh, Ricky Skaggs? I think Ricky Skaggs told that to uh who was one of the bluegrass fiddles that he played with when he was a little kid, like on the Grand Ole Opry or something like that. I remember I've seen a video of that. But uh, talking about articles, Jeremy, you've written a lot of articles. And, you know, we talk about all sorts of media and how we're bombarded with new types of media and streaming and that kind of thing. But the old standby newspaper article is still some people's favorite way to get their news. That's the way I do it. Yep. And you and I just discovered that the local library, Missouri River Regional Library, also has now a newspaper access service with your library card. You can access newspapers. And I mean, these are 
national newspapers. Yeah, New, New York Times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Miami Denver Herald. Post, Miami Herald, LA Times, Inquirer, USA Today, Chicago Sun Times. And all you got to do is, uh, use your library card. You can get, you can get print versions or online and blog type versions. So one more way to use your library card, um, to access information and, Business, health, sports, cultural activities, people, all sorts of stuff in these newspaper articles that you can get through your local library. And we want to thank Missouri River Regional Library for being a sponsor. And remember, folks, you got a local library wherever you live. That's right. And libraries are not just buildings with old dusty books anymore. You've got a lot of media sources there. So take advantage of it. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Claudia and, and company. Yes. Yeah. We yes. appreciate and that. They do a great job. Hey, you mentioned Head East. You talked about Roger Boyd. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about Head East because I think they, they they definitely are a Missouri rooted band, are they not? Well, Roger Boyd is Illinois, but, you know, south of St. Louis area. Right. But all the other ones are from Kansas City now. With the exception of what well, John Schlitt, who left, you know, head east, but he's going to be doing some shows with them. Well, the other the other one I've got to mention because I have a story on this one was your your interview with Jim Dandy with Black, Black Oak Arkansas. Uh, actually, that one that one article took four interviews, and I can tell you about that in a little bit. Yeah, please do. Well, here's the deal: we had we had Black Oak Arkansas. They opened. It was somebody pretty good, but so anyway, we had them at the fairgrounds, and that's when we had the stage down in the arena, and it was facing the the grandstands and so here came this guy and i was just like oh my god he was a piece of work i mean he was something else he did and he did put a sock in his pants i swear (laughs) but here's the problem he had he had been in a bad accident he had been in a bad Mm -hmm. car accident and this guy was in a body he was in a body cast uh when he came up for this thing and you know, Keith, down there at the arena at about six o'clock, it's about 150 degrees down yeah. there. That sun is coming over the bleachers and they're warming up. And I thought, God, we're going to kill this guy. This guy is going to be dead when he gets off this stage. Yeah. He went, did a great, he went and did a great show, but he did it in this full body armor that he had on yeah. because he, he practically broke his back, but. Being around him was was fun. He was he was lively, and uh, the fact he's made it this far, <laughs> yeah. is, and it's is, like it was like interviewing a BB in a matchbox. I mean, he was just <laughs> everywhere, and I would have to call him back at different times, and then he would cuss like a sailor, and then praise the Lord in the next in the next sentence, and um, just a very unique guy. And then finally, I had to call one of his uh, his assistants to kind of finish up getting some of the details for the article because it was just. If you've ever seen interviews with like Ted Nugent, where they just take off and you're not catching them, right? Yeah. That's yeah. kind of what it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're talking about oh, injuries. Funny. Here's a good one. I just interviewed uh, Robert Scoville. He uh, started his uh, career in, in music sound mixing with Shooting Star when he was like 18 years old up in Kansas City. And then he ended up going to work for the Go-Go's, Alice Cooper, several years with Def Leppard. Um, there's, I mentioned there's April Wine, Air Supply, Air, I'm sorry, Air Supply, and then several others. But then he ended up getting hired uh, after doing Rush. He got hired by Tom Petty. Oh, wow. Right at the end of uh, Wildflowers uh, session. They, and then they started doing the uh, – uh, rehearsals for the dogs with wings tour 
and he worked for Petty as the as a live sound mixer and engineer for about 25 years until Tom died. And I'm a huge Petty fan, and he was oh, yeah. he was telling me about him. He and Tom were good friends, and he said, uh, "I remember that that last tour, you know, 2017. He goes there was times that uh, Tom would uh, he couldn't get up to walk from the back of the bus to the front of the bus because his hip was fractured, mm-hmm. and he was uh, the doctor had prescribed." prescribed him fentanyl um but then uh come showtime he'd get on the stage do a fantastic show and i guess when that when that tour ended he was he was told not to go out on tour by his doctor to begin with and his manager said not to go out on there but uh, tom just to show you his character said i've got too many people depending on me for their income so the tour ends hollywood bowl um i guess he's at home and uh the hip breaks all the way through <laughs> and of course he has fentanyl which is legally prescribed but then he had he took some additional painkillers and that's what put him in cardiac arrest and killed him but just to hear the story from somebody that was so close to tom petty uh to me it was just like uh, almost uh hero worship in, in a sense and uh now this scoville guy uh since tom petty he did a few uh some sound work for Mike Campbell, the lead guitarist, when he, and his Dirty Dirty Knobs, his uh, his new band. But then he went to work. Uh, I think since twenty twenty two, he's been uh, the uh, lead sound guy for Kenny Chesney. Oh, wow! And he said that's been amazing, an amazing experience for this guy. Working with for all this Kenny work. would be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they. I think they have fun at their concerts. Yeah, yeah. kind of like Bill uh, Buffett one. Yeah, yeah. 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 Brendan, yeah I Brendan and I have went and saw Kenny up in Columbia. He's. I tell you I'm, what, it's not. He's on my bucket list. It's I nonstop, know. boy. Yeah. He, that guy must lose twenty pounds up there because yeah. he does not stop. Yeah. It was good. Yeah, he's an entertainer. There's no doubt about it. So. I remember when he played Cole County Fair before he was even big. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, we've talked about that before. Uh, you know, that you can sometimes, if you're lucky, catch these f- folks on the way up. Mm-hmm. I know, I know people who saw Chris Stapleton at the Blue Note in Columbia before anybody heard of him. Yeah. Now, he was, he was a successful songwriter, had been writing songs in Nashville for other people for a long time, but he had not hit as a performer and they got to see, you know, Chris Stapleton that, for 30 bucks and that was you know yeah that was that was a great concert now, close he's, and personal he's good friends with mike campbell and has done some uh i think some songs on the dirty knobs albums oh yeah so and again there's everybody's connected well his you know his band background is bluegrass the steel drivers and stuff mm-hmm. that's a big uh bluegrass band that i think he he's not as involved as he used to be but i think he still has connections with them and stuff and a uh, very successful uh bluegrass band over the years so that's chris's background and he's a great songwriter i mean you yes, know so many hits we we talked about that with paul over street mm-hmm. and how many songs pe- people don't have any idea they just think the artist who performed them wrote them yeah and they you know yeah well that was the thing i got to go to the bluebird cafe one time in in nashville and that was a that was a religious experience i've got to tell you what because you're you're it's in the round everybody takes turns you know and it was there was a a young brother and sister that were there that looked like if you'd have said boo to them they would have puked they were so nervous i mean they were just petrified and then you start going around and these are not people unless you're in nashville and you're in the know of who exactly they are until they open their mouth and they start playing and they're like you wrote that you yeah. wrote that you yeah. wrote that you know it's the don schlitz's it's, it's those yeah. those kind of people they're not on 
on you know TV every day. They're not touring, but man, there's a lot of people that wouldn't be touring if it weren't for them. Yeah. So yeah, those kind of folks. It was, it was great. Well, Jeremy, what else do you want to tell us about either the Missouri book or anything else before we kind of move on? First of all, thank you for being here. You bet. This has been really entertaining. If you got any really good stories that you've gleaned out of these uh, interviews, now's your time. But, <laughs> well, just but, uh, uh, the, the Chris Fritz. I mean, that guy is amazing. Uh, and the, the made connection with him. Uh, Chris, Chris was a concert promoter uh, from Kansas City area. Very successful in concert promotion. Well, then in 1974, he and a, another guy decided to host this uh, festival called the Ozark Music Festival in Sedalia. And I think he said they had like $190,000 to bring in all the, <laughs> the acts. They paid Aerosmith like 7500 I think uh, they paid the Eagles, Eagles 15000 yeah. yeah. Ohio Speedwagon was yeah. there. Uh, they, Wolfman Jack, they paid wife, in five grand. My wife Janet grew up in Sedalia and was yeah. about a mile from the fairgrounds when all that was taking place. Well, he was banned uh, from Sedalia for many years yeah. after that event. Uh, well, I know the grocery, they had a friend who owned one of the local grocery stores and he had to, he had to lock the doors and let only his patrons in one at a time. Woodstock in the Midwest. Yeah, because he was just getting raided, basically, by all these concert goers that were just... Well, they brought, brought a helicopter in to uh, take Fritz out because he there was a mob there that was supposedly going to kill him, so he had to escape. <laughs> does he do podcasts? <laughs> I, I don't think he does much anymore. He's not in... Not in great health. He's got a lot of back problems. Uh, so what are you working on right now? You uh, you kind of hinted, but yeah. if you if you can tell us, fine. If you can't, you're well, the shooting star biography is okay. As soon as I finish this, Ron Verlin, the, uh, the co-founder of Shooting Star, asked me if I would uh, work on their book. So uh, well, we look forward yeah, to that. We will keep we us informed. To Let us know. Yep. But now it is time for the most heralded part of the We Like That 2 podcast. It is time for the three top picks from El Bandito Yankee That's Tequila. That's right, Brad. El Bandito Yankee Tequila is the official sponsor of the We Like That 2 top three picks portion of our podcast. Hey, Keith. Let's tell the Bon Vivants the top three reasons El Bandito Yankee is our choice when it comes to premium tequilas. You know, first of all, El Bandito is authentically created by traditional methods using only mature blue Weber agave. So that's, you know it's the real stuff. That's right. And it's also confirmed 100% additive free with no added flavors, no chemicals, no nonsense, just pure natural tequila goodness. Do you know the best reason, Brad? What's that? It's the taste, whether you're mixing it in your favorite cocktail or just sipping it straight. And whether it's Blanco or Reposado, El Bandito Yankee tequila goes down nice and easy. You bet it does. You know what the folks at El Bandito call that? It's criminally smooth. Oh, yeah. It's premium tequila at a palatable price. So ask for it wherever you buy your fine spirits. El Bandito Yankee tequila. And now it's time for our three top All right. So when I was talking with Jeremy about this, we kind of happened onto this and I thought it would be interesting. We're going to try and keep it positive because it could get morbid, I guess, Mm -hmm. but we've already alluded to a couple of, a couple of uh, instances that fit this category. What we're going to do today, the three top artists or musicians gone too soon that we lost too early. Let's start and let's say, um, you tell us your Three one your one of your three top picks for artists that we lost too soon. Uh, Jim Morrison of the Doors, amazing songwriter, uh, 
I don't know if you'll ever see a poetic songwriter like that ever again. But yeah. he obviously rock and roll lifestyle, alcoholism yeah. took him too early. Yeah. Yeah. He did. He lived a hard life. He, 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 yeah, yeah. he lived it to its fullest, but he he wasn't. He didn't treat his body kind. <laughs> no, so, no, he didn't. It's kind of funny that uh, actually I had Jim as an honorable mention, but it's kind of funny because on a recent episode, our three top picks was the three top overrated bands, and the Doors was on my list. I'm not a Doors <laughs> fan, no. um, but that's all right. But I I do. Uh, Acknowledge Jim Morrison's talent. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. A, it wasn't a talent thing. It was more of an an opinion thing. You know. It's, we all uh, have bands like that. I yeah. Get it. Sure. Yeah. This uh, that was a personal thing. And these are all opinion things. This is an opinion piece. Yeah. That's another thing. I went overrated bands. You. Uh, we could we could meld into yeah. that one real quick. Yeah. yeah. Don't get me started. <laughs> I think I think Jim Morrison is a legit a legit choice for this category. No doubt about it. The Twenty Seven Club. Yeah. How old was he actually when? 27. 27. Yeah, Janis Joplin, Janis Joplin Brian Jones. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. I'm actually going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do these out of the order that I put them down. The first one is probably one nobody ever heard of. And this was an artist, singer, songwriter, kind of an acoustic artist that I got turned on to when I was in college. His name is Jimmy Spheris. Only had two albums. He was uh, produced by one of his friends was Richie Havens, who introduced him to Clive Davis, who was one of his producers. But he was young. He got killed in a motorcycle accident in California in 1984 not really any big commercial hits but again back then he had a very loyal fan base based on his music creative songwriter his his first album was called isle of view i s l e of v i e w but if you say it fast it's i love you Mm. so it's isle of view so a little play on words kind of clever and it had some of the coolest if you look up jimmy spheris album covers the Isle of View cover is one of the coolest drawings of a sort of like a medieval knight riding a griffin, and it's it's really cool. It's really neat. Sounds so, very Molly Hatchet. It's not. It's more pen and ink. It's not that dramatic, yeah. colorized. Because I love Molly Hatchet albums too. And for a long time, there was a dispute amongst his producers and his heirs on who had the rights to the music and you could not get his music you couldn't order it anywhere that has since been resolved and of course with the digital age you can download his stuff so i, I if you don't know jimmy spheris and it's s-p-h-e-e-r-i-s check it out he's got some great music so he was on my list but he died at the age of 34 and uh too soon yeah. yeah, he. I think he would would have gone places had he been around longer. Well, and that's kind of a good good segue. I I kind of looked at people that I thought, man, if they were still with us, what would they would have given us? You know, right. since then, you right. know that that's a huge question, and I think that's what makes us really so sad. Yeah, when you know, like it, it's selfish on our part to think that, but it is. It's you do you think, my gosh, you know, another twenty years of songwriting out of that person would have been amazing. It yeah. would have been it would have changed changed music. Who knows? Yeah. The first one I have, um, he died May eleventh, nineteen eighty one, at thirty six. He had no top forty hits. He had, however, one particular album that has been in the top Billboard Top 200 now for 800 weeks. Any thoughts? No, I don't. You got me stumped. And he has a movie coming out next week. Bob Marley. 
Oh, great choice. Had no top. He didn't have any top 40. Well, his yeah. genre was so... He was the genre. He, yeah, it, it was so it, narrowly and that, defined. And that was the other reason yeah. I picked Bob Marley. I mean, yeah. nobody... But uh, reggae music was kind of this little compartmentalized sort of a genre, thing. Yeah. He was yeah. he was the he one, was you know. Yeah, Buffett says that all the time. He said I didn't create a genre. I said he said Bob Marley created a genre. Yeah, I helped him a little, <laughs> but no, that's he's a great one choice. That, he's yeah. one that did it. And we actually saw this morning uh, a special, uh, kind of a teaser on the the movie that's coming out. So. I think I'm looking forward to seeing it. I am. Too. I may go. I that may too. be I'm a Bob Marley uh, fan. That may be a popcorn buyer. I will. We got to go go together on we that. We could one. do that. Uh, we could talk about that in a review. That the only thing about reggae music, it's sort of like. To me, barbershop quartet music and bagpipes. After oh. about four songs, it's like okay, I'm ready I, I might for agree. Else. I might agree with that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, you can come back and do a little bit more, but I need a break. I just need a break every once in a while, you know. Yes. So, uh, no, yeah, man. No, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, Jeremy. Back to you. I would Got probably one? Ronnie Van Zant. Yeah. Yep. Leonard Skinner's albums, uh, there wasn't a bad album up until his death. Yeah. And after that, it was kind of a cover band. It just wasn't the yeah. same without uh, him at the helm. I've heard, though, and you, you may correct me if I'm wrong, because I haven't heard him, but I've heard that when they tour, they do a pretty good job now with um, his brother singing and stuff like that. But Their brother or cousin, I'm not uh, yeah, what, yeah. Johnny. Yeah, I thought it was a brother, maybe a cousin. But I've I've heard they're a pretty entertaining band when you see them nowadays, even yeah. without him. I mean, not the same, obviously, but I don't know. Well, you still got a lot of great music. You got a lot of great songs. Well, yeah. Now, if oh, they yeah. can do them well, that's... There's no, no original members in the band now. Yeah. 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 Well, that's like Little River Band. So. Foreigner now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, our, that's our pet peeves. Yeah, that's right a, we had the great uh, we had the great B Bertles, uh, one of the original members of Little River Band. So got you can go back and listen to us. We got a two parter out, out of him, and he's been a friend since. Yes, it's great guy. It's really, great really, guy. it was well, that's good a, stuff. That, that's a good one, though. And you're right their their discography will carry that band no matter who's sure. playing it. So yeah, yeah. So well, my second one is um, Jim Croce. Did we double on that? Yeah. Well, I got um, okay. I've got Jim, and we've As even an talked about mission. this one yeah. before that. Uh, yeah, so Jim Croce hit when I was in high school, and his first couple of albums were just iconic. So many memorable songs, and he kind of he kind of broke some genre barriers too. Mm-hmm. With you know, bad bad Leroy Brown, and you know some of those what we might consider novelty songs nowadays. But his two biggest hits were bad bad. His two number one hits, bad bad Leroy Brown, and then you know what the other one was. Time in a Bottle. Mm-hmm. Beautiful song. And, and again, Jeremy, you talk about poets. He's a poet. His lyrics were just unbelievable. He was really only active about seven years, did five albums in seven years, and but he didn't really hit it. It was 66 to 73, but he didn't hit his big break until 72. He was very short life's man as far as being a hit, uh, a commercial success. On those five albums, 10 top 100 songs, five top 10 songs. And two number one songs. So his percentages were really good on the music that he made. The other connection that we have to this story is we have a friend locally here who attended Northwestern State University in Natchitoches, Louisiana. And the plane that Jim Croce died on departed from that city after a concert there. 
and that's when the plane crashed. And so um, Alan Bailey mm-hmm. saw Jim Croce's last performance. He was there, and one of our uh, one of our trap rock friends actually did a uh, knew the family and got the blessings of the family and did a Jim Croce tribute uh, show. Oh, yeah, yeah nice. it was it was really it was really 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 good. There's so, a gentleman I interviewed from uh, Kansas City. He was in a uh, prog rock band in the '80s called uh, Glow. Mm-hmm. Then he moved out to the West Coast where he did like some work for uh, the Friends TV show, uh, some overdubs and stuff on that. But then he toured with, uh, I think it's Al Croce, uh, his son. His son. Yeah, yeah, his son has kind of picked up the mantle. So he toured with him for quite some time. And I think he's doing well. Yeah, he's doing he does really well. well. Yeah, and he, and of course, he, he looks and sounds a lot like his dad. He, yeah. he does indeed. He does indeed. And they were talking to him and he said, well, do you, do you have that moment where you just kind of want to break out and be your own person? He says, I do both. He said, yeah. because I respect my last name and, and what my father did. Yeah. And yeah. if I, if I went out there and didn't do, and didn't do a couple of Jim Croce songs, he said, I'd be young. Well, that's what the audience wants to hear yeah. too. Sure. You know, yeah. yeah. Then you so. had Jacob Dillon though, that broke out from his father's mold and by yeah. not playing the, you know, with the yeah. wallflowers. And- yeah, well, I mean, you've got several of those. You've got uh, Glenn Fry's son is playing with the Eagles now mm-hmm. and does apparently a great job. So- apparently sounds a lot like his dad. Yeah. Yeah, so it happens all the time. Mm, interesting. But Jim Croce was on my list. Yeah, he's my honorable mention because I know we've talked about Jim before. Uh, my second one is so obvious it's just uh, not even funny, but it'd be John Lennon. Uh, uh, he, he wrote a few good songs, yeah. you know, like – 21, 29 number one songs. <laughs> I mean, there wasn't much I wrote. I mean, uh, you know, even Imagine was one of his number one songs with for just himself. But I mean, if you go back with the Beatles and everybody, I mean, it's just, yeah. but I just, that's one of those that just gnaws at you when you think, okay, how many more songs, how much more music could, could, could would he have, he and McCarthy gotten back together and, and maybe Pulled out a few more songs and stuff. You got to figure over decades they would have. Sure, I, I mean, think so. You know. I think they would have. I think Paul said as much. Yeah, he said, you know, yeah. I miss him every day. And the other, yeah. The other thing, and I thought what you were going to say is the other thing is that they really just the, the senselessness. Yes. Of, you know, it's one thing yeah. if you get killed in a plane crash that's an accident. It's another thing to get shot some by some up. idiot yeah. who's you know delusional and. Yeah, that's that's a really sad thing about that one. Yep. Okay. Number three. I think number three is easy. Stevie Ray Vaughan. Okay. The amazing music he made in the short period that he was on Earth. Uh, yeah. I see videos of him and I'm just amazed. He's just yeah. I got to I got to see his um, his bass player that played with Stevie Ray down Double in trouble. Austin. Yeah. He's a big, great, big, huge guy. He, he's got arms and the. The bass is kind of way down around his knees. I've never seen anybody play this like that. Oh, my God, could that guy play? He was incredible. They said, yeah, well, he played with Stevie Ray Vaughan. I said, I can see why. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good call. Yeah, good no. call. Anything else? Any honorable mentions? Got, or anything yeah, like yeah, that? Well, we got to mention Tom Petty. I mean, he was yeah, older, yeah, but sure. he yeah, was still making great did. music. Yeah. Uh, that crushed me because I never got to see Tom Petty in concert, and he was a bucket list thing for me, so that really, that really hurt. Yep. Um, I kind of stayed away from some of the obvious ones, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, some of these that were kind of self-inflicted. But my my number one, so 52 albums, 106 singles or extended plays, 
11 or 12, depending on the list, number one hits, 55 in the top 10. And he co-wrote or wrote over 167 songs. He was he, he died at 29 years old. Oh, I think I know. Hank Williams. Yep. Hank Williams. <laughs> Hank Williams. You talk about prolific yes. body of work. Yeah. And again, songs that certainly had his hits, obviously, but he was writing for other people, too. Other people were singing them. A tragic story um, in that. He was born with an undiagnosed scoliosis problem. He had he was in back pain all of his life. That's where the booze and the pills came in. Got fired from the Grand Ole Opry for missing concerts and showing up drunk. That was probably, you know, his biggest biggest disappointment. He is in the Country Music Hall of Fame. He is. He is not a member of the Grand Ole Opry. He was never reinstated, even posthumously. Wow. There was an effort to do it and they never did. Uh so I'm a little sad about that. But yeah. again, 29 years old, if you think if he had lived three, four more decades, mm-hmm. what could that guy have produced? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in saying that, Keith, I, th- I thought of one that I didn't I didn't think about in the in the country genre, and that's Patsy Cline. Yeah. You know, Patsy yeah. was another one that she went. You bet. She went really, really yeah. early, too. Yeah. You know, so. And but, I did have one other honorable mention, and because I think you talk about the voice of an angel and just a talent, and she and her brother both, but Karen Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, a tragic situation. That was a sad, sad, a sad long, situation. Sad situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she was in pain for a long, long yeah. time. Yeah. But Buddy Holly would have been great to see. Yes. Buddy, Buddy Holly. Holly. Yeah, and there were a couple on that plane. Yeah, mm-hmm. so yep, there was. My, so that's my, mine. My third one, singer-songwriter, uh, had no number one hits. Believe it or not, charted a few. But I would have liked to have uh, heard more from Dan Fogelberg. Oh yeah, I just love Dan Fogelberg. Yeah, I, 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 I still do. Um, There's a Facebook page that's trying to get Dan Fogelberg in the Rock and Roll, rock and roll Hall of Fame. Fame. And I'm, I'm a member of it. it pop, I am too. It pops up, yeah. it just, it pops up just yeah. every so often. I guess my honorable mention, I got, I got Elvis on there. You know, another yeah. one though, uh, he had, he had more hits than, than a lot of these people that we've talked about today, but we just don't remember him. You know, Glenn Miller died in a, in a plane accident at 40 years old. Uh, his really? plane was shot down. Yeah. During World War II. Yeah. Wow. I, mean, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. In the mood, uh, Moonlight Serenade, Chattanooga. Sure. I mean, standards, uh, to this day. Uh, he was, in the military, yeah, he was a was he a colonel? I knew he was an officer in the military. I'm not sure yeah. we'll get back, Glenn. Uh, he was up there. He was, yeah, he was an officer. Well, and and you might not say it too soon, but you now I, for my taste, John Denver's gone too soon. Yeah, I mean, I mean you know, he I, was I not, agree. He he had a nice body of work. He had a good yeah. run, but man, he was not an old man when he died. He could have done a lot more stuff. And oh. I'm a huge John Denver fan, so. Some of these are sad situations you can think about, but here's the good news. We got their music to remember them by. That's right. And that's, yeah. that, that's the positive of it, Bon Vivants. You know, if you're, you're feeling down sometime because you, this, this artist isn't around, go pop an album on. And as to. we have told you all, if you have people out there that are touring, that are somebody you've always wanted to see, don't wait around. Go see them. Go see them you because bet. you, you, yeah. you might not might get the chance. chance. Yeah. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for being here. I hope it's, uh, I hope you, you had a good time. I and, certainly uh, did. We certainly did. Bon Vivants, these books that we've talked about. Well, first of all, we'll put photos of the cover of the books, the artwork and stuff, so you know what they look like. And then we'll get the links and stuff to where you can 
obtain them and find them online and uh, order them. So, Jeremy, let us know, too. Uh, you've got book signings coming up yeah, over the yeah. next uh, month or two, I think. We'll get those up there and uh, make sure you know about all those. So if you want to go and get a book signed and meet Jeremy, you can do that. Some of the band will be there, too. Yeah, too. yeah. yeah that'd be See cool. Talk, talk a little rock and roll. You bet. You bet. All right. That's all I got, Dr. Mr. Jones, till next time. All right. Cheers. We Like That Too is produced as a labor of love for the enjoyment of bon vivants everywhere. To get information about our bottles and links to our guests, go to our website, welikethatpodcast.com. Tune in to new episodes by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, and other popular streaming apps. Please remember to rate, review, and share. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at We Like That Podcast. So everybody, hey, remember the numbers. One bottle, two good friends, and three top picks because... We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too.